Hi, my name is Eliane Goldstein, and you're listening to The Effect on Us. It wasn't a question of light living. It was a question of saving your life because we fled for our lives from Czechoslovakia, where the Jews were persecuted by the occupying Germans. And when we came home, we found out the Germans grounded our Polish Jews, put them on trains toward Poland. Why couldn't you go to university? Because I was a Jew. The Effect on Us podcast. Here's Eliane Goldstein. The Effect on Us is a podcast for people of all ages to learn about controversial subjects and the ties it has to people nowadays. In this season, the focus of the series is the Holocaust. You'll be able to hear some of the best survival stories I've ever heard from people that went through the Second World War and learn more about the effect the Holocaust had on people from Generation 1 to Generation 3. Did you know that Encyclopedia Britannica defines a concentration camp as an internment center for political prisoners and members of national or minority groups who are confined for reasons of state security, exploitation, or punishment? In this episode, I'm talking to Aviva Cohen, who tells me about her experiences in the Holocaust and also about the four women she considers to be her mothers. What is your name? That is a very, I have to tell you, that is a very difficult question. I want to give you a short story. 1984, I I need to go back when the Holocaust survivors finally really surfaced globally. There was a first gathering of Holocaust survivors in Jerusalem in 1980, followed one by one in Washington, and then it kind of expanded itself to the second generation. Now, I have a sister who was born uh, after the war, so she's second generation. I am neither the survivor generation nor the the second generation. Anyway, there was a meeting here. We had a plenary meeting. And for the first time, we were able to meet in a group of those who are called children survivors, which is what I am. The first person who wanted to talk was this young man who said, uh, blah, 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 I'm married to an an American Jew. And she was interviewing me, and the first question she asked was the simplest question in the world, what is your name? He said, I started to cry because I didn't know how to answer her. Well, I'm not going to cry, but I immediately understood what he was saying. My name, since 1960, when I was married, is Aviva Cohen. From 1957, to 1960 when I got married. 1957 is when I got my citizenship papers. My citizenship papers carried my old Aryan name, which I will give you in a second, but I adopted a version of my real first name, which is Aviva. Obviously, I was born in Poland and children in Poland didn't have Hebrew names. My name originally was Ada. In Yiddish, it was Udl, but frankly, Eliane, I didn't want to be called Oodle. I think you can understand why. So at that point, I adopted Aviva. And my passport now reads Cohen, but back then, which I didn't even have a passport, my papers, my citizenship papers read my Aryan name, which was Christine, my newly adopted real name, Aviva, and my name, my maiden name at that time, which was Messing. So I was born Ada, aka Oodle Messing. So I went through several transitions. 
including adopting a Polish pseudonym, a Polish alias, the most Catholic of all. My name was Krisha. It could not be more Christian than Krisha, which is like Christine here. I, that evolved into Christine with the, uh, no, that evolved into Christian with a CH when we left Poland for France, which I'll get to another time. <clears throat> and then when I came here, I changed the spelling to Christine with a K. And to this day, my social security card, my health insurance information, my passport, all read Christine Aviva. Cohen. So now I'm answering your name. What is your name? My name is Aviva Cohen, also known in certain circles as Christine Aviva Cohen. Okay, that was a very long answer for a very short question. How old are you? I am 82. Um, where and when were you born? I was born on, oh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> I'm telling you, it gets very complicated. Until recently, I knew that my birth date was September 8, 1939. And I am keeping that date. It was one week after Poland was invaded. I was born in a town in the southeastern portion of Poland called Dombrowa Gudnicza. Interestingly enough, four years ago, four years ago, on Facebook, I discovered someone was looking for me and sending me friend requests and I ignored them. But ultimately I agreed to be friends and I discovered they were my cousins that I never knew existed. This man now 94, who had been my mother's first cousin. And it was his daughter and granddaughter who had been looking for me. And he was 15 years younger than my mother, but he remembered everything, including telling me that my birthday was wrong. Why was my birthday wrong? <clears throat> he said, because you were actually born on September 1, the very first day the Germans invaded Poland. He said, your mother was, went into labor as she and her own mother, my grandmother, were seeking shelter in a bomb shelter. And she went into labor and had delivered me as the bombs were falling in that shelter on a table without any medical assistance. He said, the reason everybody assumed your birthday was the eighth is because it took one week for your birth to be registered. So I am telling you, Elian, I am a very complicated person. <laughs> Nothing is that it seems to be. So now you, now you, I hope you won't get too many long stories for a short question. Okay, let's just say I was born on September 8th, 1939, much easier. What was your household like before the war? I know that you weren't born, but can you tell me a little bit about your family before the war? I can tell you about my family, but not because I remember, oh, I was there. <clears throat> my father was Polish. My mother was Austrian. My father came from what we call the landed gentry. He was not raised in a shtetl. My grandparents were educated. They owned lumber mills and lumber yards. They had very large property. I understood that my grandmother is what we call an Asius Heil. She was a good, kind soul who, who my father told me he used to, every Erev Shabbat, he was to help her by bringing food to other people in the neighborhood who didn't have enough. 
My father was educated privately. He was multilingual. He traveled a great deal for his work in the lumber mills and the lumber yards. My birth mother, my birth mother, because I have had two mothers. I've actually had four mothers, but we'll get to that later. Uh, <clears throat> recordedly, my birth mother was born in Vienna. She was well-educated. She was a classical pianist. She was also a, diver, a swimmer and a diver who would have made the 1936 Olympics had she not been disqualified because she was Jewish. She was also at least bilingual, probably tri trilingual, probably Polish, uh, German, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Yiddish. Uh, she was a trained classical pianist who came to the attention of a very well, very well known, famous composer named Franz Lehar. But that was then, that was before Hitler took everything over. So she and her parents and her two brothers left Vienna after the Anschluss in 1937, the Anschluss being the annexation of Austria by Germany. And they moved eastward and came to Poland. They apparently had friends and relatives in Poland, and my parents were introduced to each other, and they married in 1937. So that's what I could tell you about my parents. So, so I know that you were born when the war first started, but do you remember anything about the war? Well, I have to tell you what happened to me afterwards. I, I, will, I will try to summarize my childhood from 1939 until 1945. I did have an alias I forgot to mention to you. Not only was I named Krysia, but I also had adopted a last name. So my name in Poland was Krysia Miedzińska. Uh, I have white hair now, but I was blonde and I have blue eyes and a small nose, which helped. I think you, I think you get that. Okay. Yeah. The, basically what I'm gonna tell you right now, I was born in Poland one week after the Nazis' invasion. Um, my father was an activist and a resistance fighter. And he was, he was arrested way before I was born. He was arrested in early 1939. I was, my mother was probably just learning that she was carrying me. Uh, he, was, he was arrested, but he was saved because... He never went to camp. He never was never, he was never in a concentration camp. He may have been in a labor camp, but he was multilingual and he knew the forests and the, and the areas that the, uh, the German officers were occupying. And he came to the attention of a, of a German officer who took a liking to my father because my father was intelligent and they could talk about music and art and my father's German was flawless. So that saved him. So that was part of my father's wartime. I was with my mother and my grandmother for the first three or four years of my life, at which point, naturally, we were living as open Jews with star, you know, with the mug and David on our clothes. But then came the roundup, so to speak, and everyone was forced to leave our apartments and everything in it and were herded, as you can imagine, into sep in a separate part of town, which became the ghetto. And the ghetto, as you can imagine, there was little food, much danger. My mother was very close to a woman named Anna. 
she became very, very integral part of my life. Anna, who was Jewish, but her stepfather was Catholic and they were registered in the church and she was considered safe. She was very close to my mother. Um, <clears throat> they kept corresponding because they knew each other before the war began. And my mother, sensing that I would not survive the ghetto, arranged with Anna to have me smuggled out of the ghetto and live with her. Very soon, the ghetto was closed, its residents put in cattle cars, sent to concentration camps, gas chambers. My mother and my grandmother perished in Auschwitz in 1943. My mother may have had been able to survive, except that they were doing the, they were separating them. They were doing two lines, the old and the infirm and the young and the able. My mother refused to go on a different line from her mother. So they both went up. They went up to the gas chambers. Now, that was 1943. I am now with a stranger. I didn't really know Anna, but I knew, I mean, I don't remember what I know. I don't know what a three and a half year old child understands or remembers, but there I was in Anna's house. She made sure she was living in an apartment house. There were other people in the building who were also safe and they were passing as Christians. Uh, <clears throat> she found me some clothes with the help of a Jewish neighbor who was also passing. Um, they had a son, Edward, who was two years older than me. And he, Edward, became my best friend, my mentor, my teacher, because now I really had to learn how to be a Polish Catholic. So I had a new identity, Krysia Mijinska. I had to speak only Polish, which I believe I didn't know very well. I think my mother spoke mostly Yiddish in the ghetto because her Polish may not have been 100%. And that, would, that was probably the most common language. So my ears must have been attuned to German and Yiddish, but now I had to rethink, relearn, repaginate my brain. <clears throat> and I had to learn Polish, but I also had to learn Catholic prayers and catechism and go to church regularly. Edward was the one who helped me with everything. Um, I was very lucky. I seemed to be living a quote, normal life under the circumstances, but I wasn't always 100% safe. There were raids very often. There were numerous raids and I wound up a couple of times hiding. One time I was hiding under a big feather quilt, but that's, that's the way, you know, that's the way things were. I know food was hard to come by. Uh, Anna had connections in the black market and somehow we made it through to the end of the war. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna mention one more thing because you asked me, you know, what do I remember about the war itself? The war came to an end, my father had survived and it's a whole other story, of course. Somehow he was able to be reunited with me. So I left Anna. And I left Edward and his mother to live with my father. A year later, he remarried again. He remarried a wonderful woman who miraculously survived Auschwitz. She was, he was introduced to her by a friend he found after the war, a longtime friend who had also survived Auschwitz. And, and um, my second mother was what they call a Lagerschwester. Lager is German for concentration camp. Schwester is a Yiddish word and a German word meaning sister. 
So they were probably bunk mates and they helped each other and they saved each other. So now that is my story from the time I was born until 1946, when my father remarries. You told me earlier that you technically have four mothers. Yes. Did you count Anna as one yes. of your mothers? Yes. Yes, I did. I did. I had to. I had to. Um, so how, did you, yeah. how do I wind up with four mothers? Um, essentially, my real mother, Leah, Lunia, uh, Anna, my father's good friend who introduced us to Ella, uh, and then my step, and then my second mother. I, when you think about it, there are children who were on their own. There were children who were left with strange families. There were children who were left alone in the woods or in the house or had to forage for food. I, I was a miracle child. I mean, I survived everything. I had a loving mother. I had a loving, loving second mother, Anna. Um, when I think of, of my third mother, who was kind and nursed me back to health. Something happened to me after I left Anna. My father had a very hard time being a father, being a parent. He was much older. He was 46. I was six. And not familiar with raising children, but um, he brought me to his friend, Mrs. Lefkowitz. Right now, my, I don't know why my brain is not coming up with her first name. It'll come like 10 minutes later because that's how 80-year-old that's how brains come. Um, she was wonderful. Um, she nursed me back to health, made sure I was doing okay, cleaned me up because no matter how well things were during the war, you know, I, I, I had lice in my hair. Everybody had lice. This was a, a common condition. Yes, so I had, I had two official mothers and two interim mothers. I could not, I could not be luckier if I tried. Okay. How did you reunite with your father? <laughs> it's called trial and error. <clears throat> My father had a general idea as to where Anna would be because he was informed somehow that I, again, I have no idea. Somehow word had come to him wherever he was that I was with Anna. Of course he knew her. And after the war, there were many social agencies that had been set up to help survivors find each other. And there were many dead ends for him and social services, plus Anna and apparently Anna and I had moved to another town, but ultimately he wound up coming to me. I have to tell you what I did. I didn't know him. And I was so ingrained in Catholicism and Jew hatred. I guess to protect me, that when he came to, to the door to see Anna, I said, there's a stranger at the door. I think he's a Jew. See, they were very successful in, in, wow. in, in ingraining, you know, the, in, inside my brain. I wore a cross for a very long time. Was Anna Jewish? Yes, Anna was Jewish. Anna was Jewish. Everybody, all of my mothers were all Jewish. Anna had been, uh, Anna's mother had been widowed as a, a fairly young age, and she remarried this Catholic guy, this Catholic man, who had them registered in the church because his brother was a priest. And so Anna legitimately was able to pass. Yeah, she was. So anyway, I wound up going with my father, but frankly, I went with him very reluctantly. I didn't want to leave, leave Anna. 
And I think that my, that first year after I left Anna was part of the reason I was ill. I was going through, I guess I was going through withdrawal symptoms away from Anna. She was, she was probably more memorable as a parent than my own mother was. It's very hard to understand your formative years, the first three years and the subsequent three or four years. So that's, that's where we were. So you said that you were ingrained, engraved in Catholicism and Jew hatred. Uh, so if everyone around you was Jewish, how did that happen? Well, nobody around me was Jewish, not really. Nobody was allowed to be Jewish. No one was allowed to be Jewish. Somehow, Anna managed to, to, to give the best facade in the world. It was very important. It was very, very important that the, these, the, the, the fake story, our fake, our fake scenario, be kept exactly the same between, uh, between Anna and me and the people that came and went and she was dealing with black market stuff and she was arrested and I went somewhere else. I was still Krisha and I was still this little Polish girl. She was so successful that there were many times there were soldiers who came into this large apartment house and she had to let, she had to let a room for them to stay in. And so we had Germans coming and going. We also had a Hungarian count who fell in love with Anna, did not believe that I was not her daughter. He said, it doesn't matter if she's a little illegitimate, I don't care. I want to marry you and I want to adopt her. As soon as I come back to Budapest, I will send for you. Well, Anna didn't want any of this, but you know, at this point, you go, you go along with everything and everything. Yeah. Yes, you form an, you form an, like a, you form an, you actually form an alternative universe. Okay. So now we're up to 1946 and my, my father marries again. He marries Esther, Ella, and we're still in Poland, but Poland in 1946 was nowhere near safe. It was not as safe. It was not, it was this, the, 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 the anti-Semitism in Poland was as strong after the war as it was before or during. Uh, Jews were being murdered for having returned to claim their own houses and their own property. My parents were afraid to stay. What we wanted, what they wanted to do, very interesting. Both of them had been very active Zionists before the war. Maybe one was a left Zionist, maybe one was the right side, it doesn't matter. They were both Zionists, and this is 1946. Israel was not established as a state yet, but that was our goal. We're not staying in Poland. We're going to Palestine, except there was no way, there was no direct way to go to Palestine. So we left Poland by train, and we moved, we left, and we went to France. That was a kind of a Pit stop, we don't know for how long. Well, the pit stop lasted five years. We arrived in Paris. Nobody knew how to speak French. <clears throat> I had just managed to survive with my good Polish. Still had never gone to school. My father found a job on a Yiddish newspaper. My mother, Ella, had been a teacher before the war. She landed a job at a suburb of Paris as a teacher in an orphanage. The orphans were all Polish 
I mean, sorry, yes, they were all Jewish orphans from Warsaw, Poland. So we moved to Bellevue, which was the suburb of Paris. Um, my mother taught there. Um, there was one other child with parents, my friend Alex, whose mother had survived and she was working at the orphanage. And I finally went to school. My sister was born in 1947, Jeanette, to my father and my second mother. And I'm learning French. And I'm learning the basics, the three R's. And I started to go to school. And it was tough. It was very tough because now I had to learn everything. I had to learn reading, writing, arithmetic, and of course, French. Somehow, I guess my brain must have been adaptable since I adapted to everything else. I learned, I caught on very quickly, and I was very happy in school. But even then, I experienced some anti-Semitism from the teachers. I'm not a big surprise. Finally, finally, after five years, 1951, Israel had been established three years before. We needed to find a permanent home. Um, we did not wind up in Israel for 3,000 reasons. Some of them made no sense until recently, but it really didn't matter. We had relatives in uh, the United States and New Jersey. Uh, and in New York, and we were sponsored by my family here, and we arrived to the United States in 1951. I was 12, and now I had to learn yet another language, English. I, <laughs> I don't know where all of it was sitting in my brain, to tell you the truth, but okay, it was very tough. I had one year of British English in my school in France in the Lycée, but believe me, it didn't help me very much. But I was put back a half a year. I failed my spelling tests, but somehow I survived. In those days, there was no such thing as English as a second language. Nobody was there to help you. You just you did the best you could. Well, I did. And I didn't sink, I swam. I did very well in middle school. I was top of my class in high school. I graduated from college on a scholarship as a high school English teacher for a girl who spoke Polish, understood some Yiddish and German, learned French, didn't know English. Now I am a married lady a year after, a year after I graduated. Um, from, I graduated a year before, I was, I'm sorry, I was married a year before I graduated from college. <clears throat> now I am out of college, a nice married lady teaching high school English. <clears throat> so that was 19, up to 1961. Do you still speak French? Un petit peu. Je comprends. So how many languages can you speak? One. One. Forgot all the other languages? I didn't forget. They're sitting here. You know, they're sitting somewhere in the back of my brain. Mm -hmm. I understand French. Please don't speak so rapidly. <clears throat> I watch French movies. I watch series on Netflix that are in French with English subtitles. I try to listen. I have, a, I have several friends who are bilingual. We start in French and then I give up. It's been 70 years since I left France. I didn't, I had some of it in high school, but I didn't really study it. 
Polish, interestingly enough, because I have I have a postscript to talk to you about, especially about Anna. So I will get to that in a few minutes. I will get to you. I have a postscript about Anna. I will also get give you a postscript about my friend Edward. So don't forget. Um, <clears throat> Polish was spoken at home. My parents spoke Polish to each other. Of course, when they didn't want me to understand, as many Jewish families do, I think they spoke Yiddish to each other, but I understood enough. <clears throat> My sister, who was born in France, had no exposure to Polish. By listening all these years to my parents speak Polish, many years later, when she had her first child and needed to go back to work and hired a nanny for Andrew, her son, she hired a nice Polish lady. And my sister discovered, much to her delight, that even her, even though her Polish was horribly accented by, you know, an American accent, she was fluent in Polish. I too discovered that maybe I cannot speak Polish, but I understand it. It's hard for me to read it, but if somebody reads it out loud, I understand most of it. But my life has been based very strongly uh, on the language I know as English. Not only did I major in English in, in college, not only did I teach it, I have a master's in English. And I began my doctorate shortly after I finished my master's in, in drama, because I had originally wanted to teach drama in college, which did not pan out. I did other things. So yes, I only speak one language, but somehow can fake it with the other two. You said that there were some anti-Semitic attacks in France after the war. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Well, uh, the, the, the anti-Semitic attacks were mostly based in Poland. But there was, there were, I mean, let me just give you just essentially some anecdotes. Um, I was in school my one year of lycée that was from 1950 to 1951 when I was a year, just a year before I came to the United States. There were several Jewish students in my class. The teachers are very different in France, and I don't know how things have changed, but uh, it was always very formal. We had to stand up. We have to address them as monsieur, madame, bonjour, whatever. Somehow he picked out four students in my class. Me, Evelyn Gottstein, René Zisman, and a boy named, I mean, I don't know why, why they changed his name, why they should, that his name was misspelled Israel, not Israel, but Israel. Then he stood, the teacher stood us in the front of the class, facing the students with our backs against the blackboard and was just very nasty and rude and mean and horrible and insulting. And we had to just stand there and take it. I also, the year before that, two years before that, I was coming back from elementary school. And um, I had made good friends that were so impressed about a little Polish girl who speaks such good French. Uh, I think we were following the same route back home. My street, which was Avenue du Petit Chateau, was the home of the orphanage. But next to the orphanage was a yeshiva. So they saw me walking down the hill and turning into Quatre Avenue de Petit Chateau. But in their minds, they thought I turned into the yeshiva. The next day, they attacked me with stones, 
pelted me with stones. And nobody stops anybody. Fast forward, another very brief anecdote. My friend Evelyn Gottstein had a brother, Alain, older than me. We, meet, we stayed friends even once I came to the United States. I hadn't seen him until the 1980s. And my husband and I went back to France to get together with him, hang out. We went back to the old town because they lived in Mandre. I lived in Brunois. We went to a, an aubergerie, you know, like a very nice cafe outside. Oh, and he greeted Alain. Oh, but meanwhile, Alain had to change his last name from Gatstein to Gassin because he wasn't getting any work. This is France. Oh, Monsieur Gassin. An old friend of his father's always greeted him very nicely. Alain said to me, you see that man? He's so nice. He's so friendly. If the Germans were here, he would betray us right now. So it's, it's, like, it's like subdural under the skin. It lives there. The Poles were far more open about their anti-Semitism and their, and their violence. Absolutely. Um, I do want to tell you the two postscripts, if I may, but I know you have other questions, so I'll hold off. Did you continue to celebrate Jewish holidays after the war? Oh, I have to tell you that in the children's home was my first exposure to Judaism. Good question. I didn't know anything about Judaism. Nothing. The counselors, the teachers in the children's home. Now we have established the state of Israel. The children were, the counselors were, they were madrichim. They were imported counselors. They were imported from Israel. And we all finally began to learn something about who we were. We learned basic, basically it wasn't so much a religious education as a cultural education. Uh, language, songs, holidays, celebrations, history. And yes, I was not observant, but I learned that I was a Jew. My father grew up, both my, both my parents grew up in Orthodox homes because either you were a Jew or you weren't, you know, back in Europe. You didn't have the denominations that we are familiar with over here. So yes, I came to America as a Jew. I knew, I knew enough. I have three sons who all went for 12 years to a yeshiva. So yes, I wanted to make sure they knew who they were. So you still celebrate all the holidays to this day? Absolutely. 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 Sometimes alone, since my husband passed away three years ago. Doesn't matter. I still light my, my Shabbat candles. I still light my Hanukkah candles. I usually spend a Pesach with my two sons in California. Um, I have one son in Israel. Um, I try not to go there for the Yomim Tovim because the airline, the airfare is very expensive. I go in between holidays and they come here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is there anything that you want to add? I want to tell you some more. Remember, I had two follow-up stories. Yes. They both involve Anna and Edward. And they are connected. No, that's right. It was the year 2000. The year 2000. I had been away. I must have been visiting my son in, uh, yes, it was. That's what it was. I had my first grandson born in California. My husband and I had just come back home. There was a letter for me in December 20th of two, the year 2000 waiting for me um, 
It came from the United Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. Uh, the letter was really three, three pages. The letter informed me that someone had been looking for me and could not, they could not connect us, but they forwarded his letter and a photograph. Anyway, I looked at the letter and someone was looking for me, someone named Edward Sendor, and he had all the right information about when I was born, when I was living in Krakow on Topolova Street and so on and so forth. He talked about Anna, blah, blah, blah. I said, and he gave me, he's been looking for me and he finally didn't know if this is his last resort. He's been looking for me for years. And um, he gave me his email address and he attached the second, the third page was a photo of three children, two boys and a girl. Didn't recognize the boys, but I recognized the girl, me. I didn't know who this person was. It was Edward. Would you believe that my brain did not remember? How could I, how could I have forgotten? How could I have forgotten Edward? I did. Anyway, I sent him and he was living in Munich, Germany which he still is. And I speak to his wife every Saturday morning on WhatsApp because we became close friends. Um, I wrote him back immediately and I was very impressed with his English. And he writes me back and he says, I don't speak English. I sent your emails to my older brother's daughter-in-law who teaches English and she translates them. Okay. I said, how did you ever find me? He said, my best helper, my best helper, indirectly, was Anna. I said, oh my God, where is Anna? What's going on? Now, Anna was then 80. I was 60, something, whatever. Apparently, he remembered to ask his two older brothers, because they were all living together in the same building, you know, Edward with his mother, the two older brothers, we living downstairs. They traced Anna's son. This is so convoluted, you wouldn't believe. Anna's son, who used to be a child star in Poland, they remembered his name. They found him living in Jerusalem. He said, yes, my mother is still alive. They're not living in Poland. They're living in Copenhagen for many reasons. He then so then he connected Edward to Anna. Anna gave him a lot of more information. After Edward and I found each other, he connected me to Anna. Anna was living in Copenhagen. She spoke passable English, much better Danish, which really is crazy because Danish is an impossible language. Anyway, fast forward. We have a reunion in June into July of the year 2001. And my husband and I, and Edward and his wife, and Anna's daughter, Beata, who lives in Rome, all came to Copenhagen. And we had the most amazing reunion in this world. You cannot even imagine. It was as if no time had passed by. No time. You know how many years from 1946 until 2001? Do the math. I was six. Now I am 61. It was as if we had been together the whole time. We would be walking together, Anna and I, 
followed by my husband and her husband. And the two of them were looking at the, the, our backs and they said, look at them. They even walk the same way. This is what I meant before about what, what you absorb as a child. What are your memories? What do you learn? You know, do I remember my mother very well? No, I remember Anna much, much better. Anna and I stayed in touch. We visited twice more. It was wonderful. She, as she aged, she became, it was, and I used to speak to her on the phone. Oh, this is interesting. You asked me if, if I knew any other languages. She was, it was she at that, at that first reunion that said, do you understand Polish? I said, I don't know. Try me. She said in Polish, I will speak to you in Polish. You can answer me in English. And it worked. And for years until from the year 2001 for maybe another 15 years, we would be on the phone regularly. I, we visited her at least twice more. One year for her 90th birthday, I, I was in Israel with my husband and my youngest son, Daniel, and his wife said, come to us, stay a, sh stay a week instead of whatever. Let's all go to Copenhagen to celebrate Anna's birthday. Her birthday was in December. You don't go to Copenhagen in December. It's too cold, just like it is in Canada. This was October. So my son, his wife and their two little girls then, and Shelly, my husband Shelly and I went to Copenhagen. My children, my son, my daughter-in-law was so insistent on coming because they wanted to meet her. Never mind that it was her birthday. They wanted to say thank you. If it wasn't for Anna, my son wouldn't be, my son wouldn't exist. It was an amazing, amazing reunion. So we stayed in touch until her hearing became too too challenging. Then she was moved into a senior citizen living. I became very close to her daughter, Beata. I still am. She lives in Rome. She comes here. We've gone there. We now visit on WhatsApp, especially the last two years when nobody's visiting anybody. Um, but she passed away in early 2018. I don't know. She was 98 and change. So yes, Edward, Edward has health issues. His English has become non-existent, but his wife speaks a wonderful English and she loves the conversation we have every week because it keeps her English, you know, alive. So, yes, that's pretty much my story. Who was Edward to Anna? No, nope, nothing. Uh, Edward was, if you remember when I moved into Anna's house, I moved into her apartment, right? She yeah. reached out to Edward's mother saying, I have this little girl, help me. Let's find her some clothes. Let's get her a haircut, whatever. Edward was my age. Edward is two years older than me. So he okay. came downstairs and he says, oh, I have a playmate. Oh, let's be, let's be friends. Let's be brother and sister. And he was the one that helped me learn catechism and Polish and everything else. So oh, he, was, okay. he, was only, he was only a neighbor. But you form, you form this amazing bond with each other. Crazy stories, huh? Yeah. I'm sure you have interviewed many people so far, or even a few. And what probably what you find is every story is this is different. And yet every story has a, a common link. Yes. I'm very pleased that you were doing this. Uh, I am happy to do this. 
I have mentored several other students. I've recently mentored a young woman who reached out to a, a person who has been photographing Holocaust survivors here in the United States and Canada. And it that's is how real. we got to John and John. Amy. Oh, John, of course, John. Yeah, John photographed me some years ago. He keeps sending me students, and I'm happy to take them on. Thank you so much for letting my pleasure. Talk my to pleasure. You today. Join me next time when I talk to Sunny Dewitt, who tells me not only about the war but also after and the anti-Semitism she experienced when she moved to the States. If you like this episode, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. This is Eliane Goldstein. Tune in next time to The Effect on Us. And remember, history will not repeat itself. Bye!